Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we present the fourth in a series of episodes featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Greg. Hello, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Greg is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited him to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. Greg, what are we listening to today? The Man in 206 from Dark Venture. Dark Venture was an anthology series produced and broadcast from ABC's Hollywood affiliate, KECA, from June 1945 to December 1947. At first, the program was heard exclusively on the West Coast, but beginning in February of 1946, ABC broadcast Dark Venture nationwide. Shortly after its national debut, Dark Venture gained a sponsor, Wild Root Cream Oil. In 1947, the Armed Forces Radio Service began to air previously broadcast episodes of the program as part of the Mystery Playhouse. Of the 130 episodes aired, only 15 are known to exist today, a third of which are rebroadcasts from the AFRS. And now, let's listen to The Man in 206 from Dark Venture. First broadcast, December 2nd, 1946. It's late at night, and the chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Dark Venture. men come many shadows, shadows of greed and hate, jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light, so in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them into the unknown. Dark Venture. Broadcasting Company presents Carl Harbord in The Man in 206. I paused on the threshold of room 206. Inside the room was the killer playing the piano in the dark. I 
struggle to hold my nerves in check. Alone in the house. With him. My fingers closed around the small axe as I slowly turned the doorknob. And then, as it is with a drowning man, everything that had happened these last few weeks, everything that had brought me to this door, flashed through my mind. that night the reporter came. The fourth murder in the neighborhood had occurred only the night before, and the papers were full of it. They were calling the killer the executioner, and they said he killed only the helpless. I read all this as I sat in the lobby of my rooming house, and the thought wouldn't leave me. Could it be Fraser? Could it be the man in 206? Oh, I was letting my nerves run away with me. I was letting my hatred for Fraser warp my mind. It was just that everything was falling apart and I couldn't stop it. I remembered how grateful I'd been when Aunt Martha had willed me this rooming house. A chance to make something of my life. Sure, fine chance. In less than a month, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Three more tenants had left me today. And all because of Fraser. The outside door opened and a young man came in, shaking the rain from his hat. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? I don't know. That sign on the door intrigues me no end. Uh, how's that? The sign that says vacancy. I didn't think they printed signs like that anymore. Oh, uh, you want a room? Yeah. But I also want a story. A big pardon? My name's Martin. I'm a reporter on the Globe. A reporter? Yeah. Every day on my way to the police station to hear the latest exploits of our friend, the uh, executioner, I pass this rooming house. Every day I see that strange little sign. Vacancy. Uh, I'm afraid I still don't understand. In this city, hundreds of good, solid citizens are living in chicken coops and garages. All-night theaters or streetcars because there's no place else to live. Yet, here in their midst is a vacancy. But no one accepts the vacancy. Why? Well, uh, most of my guests are transients. They come and go. So I always have a vacancy. That's all there is to it. In times like these... Why do they come and go? Now, look here. Your place looks clean enough. I don't imagine your rates are too high. Look, if you want a room... And also, why are you so upset? Yeah, there must be a story here. Let my fellow reporters worry about the executioner. I'll tell the story of the vacant room. But I tell you, there isn't any story. As I said... Yeah, yeah, I know what you said. Yeah. I also saw how pale you got when you said it. Look, I'm very busy tonight. When you came in, you said you wanted a room. Do you want it or don't you? Sure. I'll take a room. Make it for a week. Or do you think that's long enough to find out what drives people away? I really shouldn't have rented the reporter a room. But with so many of my rooms vacant, I just couldn't afford not to. After I'd showed him to his place, I decided to see Inspector Garland. After all, he'd been living here in the roaming house for the last eight years, and though I didn't know him very well, Aunt Martha had always considered him her prized tenant. I went down the hall to the inspector's room. I had to talk to somebody. I was desperate. Come in, come in. Inspector, I'd like to speak to you, if I may. Oh, Mr. Wilson, come in. Don't tell me I've forgotten to pay my rent again. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. It's... Don't be bashful to tell me, man. I've got no memory for details. Your poor aunt was always hemming and hawing, trying to get her money without embarrassing me. Inspector Garland, it's not the rent. 
I need your advice. Advice? Yes. Oh, what am I going to do about him? Him? I don't understand. Well, Mr. Frazier, of course, the man in 206. Mr. Frazier? I don't think I know him. What about him? Well, didn't you hear him last night? Uh, I've been working nights for the last three weeks trying to find some trace of this creature the newspapers call the executioner. You'll have to bring me up to date. Well, this Mr. Frazier, he must drink or something. He usually comes in after midnight and begins to pound on an old piano I have up there till he's wakened the whole building. Because of him, I've lost every one of my old tenants except you, Inspector. Well, for Pete's sake, why don't you tell him to leave? Well, that's just it. I've never even seen the man. What? My housekeeper, Stella, rented the room to him a week before I came. He paid for two months in advance and no one's seen him since. But if you'd been here at night, you'd certainly have heard him. Did you ever try leaving him a note, ordering him to behave himself? Yes, last night. I left a note in his door. This morning, the note was torn to shreds. Well, I guess the only thing I can suggest is to wait until the next time he creates a rumpus and then call one of our boys to come in and arrest him for disturbing the peace. Inspector, I'm afraid to wait until next time. Huh? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's just my imagination. But... Yes, each time Fraser's gone into one of his rages, there was a murder reported in this neighborhood. The next day, I think Fraser. Fraser might be this executioner. And your housekeeper is the only one who's seen Fraser? Yes. All right, come on, let's talk to her. You won't say anything about what I suspect. It'll only upset Stella. No, I won't say. Oh, here's her room. Stella, it's me, Mr. Wilson. Come in, Mr. Wilson. Oh, Inspector Garland. Why are you packing, Stella? I was just going to tell you I'm leaving. Leaving? But why? Well, I'm not at all well, you know. I've been under a doctor's care for the last five years, and now this excitement... Well, it's just too much. You mean Fraser, Stella? Him and, and that killer, too. I'm worried and frightened all the time. It's just too much. Well, where are you going? To my sister's place. I'm sorry, Mr. Wilson, before you took over outward for your Aunt Martha, God rest her soul, for eight years. But I've got to think of myself. But I'm trying to get rid of Fraser. You'll never get rid of him. Why do you say that, Stella? That's just how I feel. Oh, I'm just a bundle of nerves, that's all I am. You're the one who rented Fraser's room, aren't you, Stella? Yes, I'm sorry to say. It was just a few days after Martha died, and Mr. Wilson hadn't come yet to take over the place, so I was in charge. Did he seem like the kind of fellow who would carry on like this? Oh, no, he was real nice. Paid two months in advance, gave me a good tip when I showed him his room. He seemed fine. When was the first time you heard him go into one of these rages? Oh, please, I, I told my sister I'd be at her place in an hour. I, I've just got to finish packing. Stella, Inspector Garland is trying to help me. I'm at the end of my rope. Now, please tell him what you heard. Well, all right. I'll tell you about the first time I heard him. It was just about ten days after he'd moved in. I'd gone to bed early, like I usually do, and it wasn't long before I was sound asleep. First, I, I didn't know what had awakened me. Then I realized it was somebody playing the piano. I looked at my dresser clock. Why, it was almost two o'clock in the morning. I put on my robe and went to the door. It was Mr. Higgins, one of our tenants. What kind of a place do you people run here? Listen to that racket. How are people supposed to sleep? Well, where's it coming from? That new guy, Frazier in 206. Well, I'll go tell him to stop. Yeah, do that. He's got the whole building away. I hurried to the 
hurried down the hall to 206. There was something so wild about that piano playing. It kind of gave me the creeps. Now I'm standing in front of the door. Mr. Frazier. Mr. Frazier, I, I want to see you a moment. Suddenly the piano stopped. Then I happened to look up at the transom and I realized there was no light in the room. He'd been playing in the dark. Then I heard him walking real slow to the door. The strangest feeling came over me. Everything was suddenly so quiet. I, I looked down the hallway. All the doors were closed. Mr. Higgins had gone back to his room. Mr. Fraser had unlocked the door. My heart started pounding frantically. But why should it? Then the door started to open. But I couldn't see anything except the darkness of his room. Suddenly, I, I turned and started running down the hall. That's the way it happened to me. I, I can't explain why I ran away, even today. But I just couldn't stand there. I, I just couldn't. All right, Stella, all right. That's why I've got to leave. My nerves aren't what they used to be. Maybe... After I rest up for a while at my sister's, maybe, maybe I'll be all right. You see what he's done, Inspector. I've got to get rid of him. How many times has something like this happened, Stella? I've heard him play like that four times, and always the same song. But after that first time, I've never gone to his room again except to clean it twice a week during the day when he isn't there. The room's down the hall, isn't it? Yes. You got a key? Yes. Oh, come on. Let's take a look at it. Wait. Mr. Wilson. What? I don't want him to hear. Well, what are you talking about? I'll be leaving in a few minutes, but when I get to my sister's house, I'll call you. Coming, Miss Wilson? I've got something to tell you. What? You'll hear from me. Well, are you coming? Yes, yes, I'm coming. Looks all right. Where's that dog go? Uh, a small dressing room. It's part of Fraser's place. Why is it locked? Well, it shouldn't be. Got a key to it? Yes, I think so. It's right on the string here. This one should open it. Let's look inside. Good looking clothes. You must have money. What's this bundle in the corner? Mm, looks like dirty clothes. Yeah, look at this shirt. Blood. And these trousers. All bloody. Then I was right. It is Fraser. He is the killer. Well, maybe. Maybe not. I'll have to have the blood analyzed. But if we wait until he comes back, it may be too late. This. Come on. It's him. He's come back. Well, hello, gentlemen. Martin. What are you doing in this room? Didn't I tell you? I'm a frustrated Paderewski. How come I don't have a piano in my room? Haven't I seen you around headquarters? Aren't you a reporter with the Globe? That's right, Inspector. I'm also a fellow tenant in Mr. Wilson's establishment. Does this room hold the mystery? What mystery? Of the little vacancy sign. Or maybe of the executioner. Ah, ah, ah. There you go, getting pale again, Mr. Wilson. 
I was terribly upset. But I tried not to show it until after the reporter and Inspector Garland had left. Most of my life, I bummed around the world doing everything imaginable. Stevedore, clerk, worked in nightclubs, everything. I was in a hospital clear across the country, recovering from a barroom brawl, when I'd learned I'd inherited the rooming house. It was like a godsend. And now this frightful thing was happening. And if I didn't make a go of my rooming house, I'd be right back where I started. Then, at about 11.15 that night, the phone in the lobby started ringing. Yeah, hello. Hello, Mr. Wilson. This is Stella. Oh, yes, Stella. I told you you'd hear from me, remember? Yes, what did you want to tell me, Stella? I wouldn't want to say it over the phone, Mr. Wilson. Well, then why didn't you tell me before? I couldn't. Not with the inspector around. I don't understand. I lied to the inspector. That night when all the noise was going on, I did see something in Mr. Frazier's room that I didn't want to tell about. Why? Because I don't think I really understand it. What did you see? Well, like I said, I, I don't want to tell you over the phone, Mr. Wilson. You come over to my sister's house and I'll tell you. But there's nobody here to watch the place. Just the same, you come along, Mr. Wilson. It's 354 Westover Place. It's only about a mile. Oh, well, all right. Uh, 354 Westover, there's not much doing here. Uh, I'll be over in half an hour. Fine. I'll wait up for you. And don't you tell Inspector Garland you're coming. Understand? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I, I understand. But after I'd hung up, two people came in for rooms, and I was busy with them. And then it started raining again, and I couldn't walk through the rain. I tried calling a taxi, but there weren't any available. And when I looked at my watch again, it was after midnight. Then I tried calling Stella to tell her I wouldn't be able to make it that night and not to wait up for me. But I didn't know her sister's number. At 12.30, I went to bed, and I couldn't fall asleep from all the excitement. I finally got up and took some aspirin, and within minutes, I was dead to the world. Huh? Wilson! Wilson! Yeah, yes? Wilson, open up! Oh, all right, just a minute. Come on, Wilson, hurry! Inspector Garland, what's wrong? Then another killing, only this time it strikes home. What? Your housekeeper, Stella. She was found on the porch of her sister's house, strangled. After Inspector Garland told me about Stella, I told him about her phoning me earlier and saying she'd seen something unusual in 206. Then the inspector wanted to see the rooming house register. I took him downstairs and he thumbed through the pages till he found what he wanted. William Frazier, here we are. Registered November 2nd. And the first of these killings was around then, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Home address, Spokane, Washington. Business, salesman. Mm, not much help. No. There are an address in California, maybe we could trace him. But we don't have any description to go on. Stella's the only one who's ever seen him. Uh, uh, wait. It's that reporter. I don't want him to know we suspect Frazier. Say, that's Stella Falvin, the woman who got killed tonight. She worked for you, didn't she, Mr. Wilson? Yes. Why do you suppose she was murdered? Well, I'm sure I don't know. Looks like the work of our friend, the executioner. Huh, Inspector? Perhaps. Ah, being a reporter's worse than being a milkman. My paper sent a kid over here at 3 o'clock to wake me up and have me cover this killing. A fine life. Trouble was, I'd just fallen asleep about an hour before. You didn't tell me about these piano recitals, Mr. Wilson. Piano? Take it easy. When I saw you two in room 206, I figured it was vacant. It, it is vacant. 
Uh-uh. No. Some guy was inside 206 hammering on that piano. And I mean hammering. Is that what chases all the tenants away, Mr. Wilson? I told you. Yeah, I know what you told me. I'm going to hit the hay for a while. I'm dead. He's gone to his room. Come on. Let's go upstairs to 206. Quick. You think Frazier's in there now? There's a chance. Give me a pass key. He's not here. But he's been here. Look at this room. Torn to pieces. Yeah. Now, look. I don't want that reporter to know about Frazier. If he finds out about him, he'll plaster the story all over the front page of that paper of his. Ah, I guess that doesn't matter anymore. Oh, but it does matter. Hmm? Frazier's some kind of a nut. I'll bet anything on it. And he'll be coming back to this rooming house if he doesn't find out we're wise to him. You think so? You're getting a guest tomorrow. A guest? I'm planting a man in this house to watch a day and night. And one of these nights, if we're lucky... We're going to hear that piano again. But we didn't hear the piano again. And Inspector Garland didn't seem to make any progress finding Frazier. I checked with all the California police chiefs. Any luck? None. He's not wanted for anything. That's a cinch. Maybe he uses a false name. Maybe. Well, that makes it even better. You sure he's never come back to the room? I'm sure. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep waiting. I lost all interest in the rooming house. I wasn't able to hire another housekeeper. Although there was no more piano playing, one by one, my other tenants left me. I'm checking out, Mr. Wilson. Prepare my bill. <sighs> yes, Mr. Higgins. This certainly isn't the same kind of rooming house your aunt used to run. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Higgins. Finally, the only tenants left were Inspector Garland, the policeman he planted in the house to watch for Frazier, and Martin, the newspaper man. I see you took your vacancy sign down today. Yeah, I'm thinking of closing my rooming house. Looks like I'm not going to get my story after all, huh, Mr. Wilson? Yeah, it looks that way, Mr. Martin. I placed the rooming house up for sale and started cleaning the rooms and getting everything in order. And it was while cleaning Fraser's room that I made a discovery that sent me running to Inspector Garland's room. Inspector, look what I found. What is it, a snapshot? Yes, a man and a woman. And look what's written on back. Huh? Bell and William Frazier, Stockton, California, 1942. Where'd you find this? It was in one of the dresser drawers underneath the paper Stella had used to line the drawers. Uh, this is what I needed. We're going to find Frazier at last. That was three days ago. Then tonight, at about 10.30, Inspector Garland got a telephone call. He was out. He'd been gone all evening. But the policeman he'd planted in the house took the call, and when he hung up, I could see he was pretty excited. When Garland comes in, tell him I went to headquarters. Tell him he'd better get down there, too. Something happened? Yeah, they just located your rumor. William Fraser. You mean they've arrested him? Not exactly. His wife just came down from Stockton and identified his body. Body? Fraser checked into your rooming house on November the 2nd, didn't he? That's right. Well, on the night of November the 2nd, he was killed by a hit-and-run driver. I don't understand. Why we were waiting for him to start playing that piano. He's been lying on a slab in a county morgue waiting to be identified. Then Fraser couldn't have been the killer. You're catching on fast, Mr. Wilson. After the detective left... 
I was all alone in the rooming house. I locked the front door and went up to my room. My head was pounding. It had never been Fraser. Fraser was dead, that's all I could think. I stretched out on my bed in the darkness, my mind searching for an answer. If it wasn't Fraser, who was it? Why had I ever accepted this rooming house? Why had I ever come to this place? Why... The piano. For a moment, I thought my imagination was playing some crazy trick. I clamped my hands over my ears to see if the music was in my head. No, it was real. The killer had returned. And there was nobody in the house but me. I don't know how long I crouched on the bed. I was terrified. What was I going to do? The music went on and on. Then finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was going to see who was playing that piano. I was going to find the killer. But I needed something to protect myself. I remembered the tool cabinet and the service closet in the hallway. I left my room and hurried over to it. I snapped on the light. And there, on top of the cabinet, was what I wanted. A small axe. Then I started for room 206. I saw through the transom that there was no light in 206. He was playing the piano in the dark, just as Stella had said. Now I was standing before the closed door. My nerves were at the breaking point. My hand closed around the doorknob. I turned the knob ever so slowly. The door was unlocked. I gripped the axe so hard my fingers ached. And then quickly I flung open the door and snapped the light switch. You! Are you shot, Mr. Wilson? You killed those people. You're the one they're looking for. This should make you a big man, Mr. Wilson. But what are you going to do about it? I'm going to call the police. The telephone's downstairs. Do you think I just wait here while you call? Then I'll stay here with you until Inspector Garland comes back and I'm warning you, don't try anything. Is it okay if I play the piano? Why did you kill them? They were all so helpless, so defenseless. Maybe I couldn't help myself. Maybe I didn't even know I was the killer. Maybe it was a sickness in my head. I've got a name for that, you know, for a guy who kills and doesn't know he kills. It's called schizophrenia or something like that. And if a guy gets overtired or too excited, he can get an attack, even from something as simple as a song. Well, you killed Stella, too. She was a good woman. She worked hard all her... Uh, must you play that same infernal tune over and over again? I like it. It's got kind of a strange rhythm to it when you think about it. I don't care about his rhythm. Just stop playing it. Listen. Kind of gets inside you, doesn't it? You're trying to confuse me. That's what you're up to. I hear you once played the piano in nightclubs. I asked you to play something else. Yeah. I hear this tune was your introduction number. I hear you were playing it that night you got hurt in the brawl. It's a good song. What are you doing? What are you trying? What are you doing to I'm me? just playing the piano, that's all. I tell you, stop. Stop that song. Stop it, I tell you, stop it. Hey, hey. <laughs> Take it easy. I've stopped. You're all alike. Always trying to outsmart the little guy. Always trying to destroy the sick and the helpless. But you can't outsmart me, can you? I don't let you get away with it, do I? I don't let you trample the helpless into the dust. I bring them rest and sleep. I bring them peace everlasting. It's your kind who hurt them. But you won't hurt anyone anymore. I'm going to kill you. Like I killed all the others. He's dead, Inspector. I'm sorry I had to do it that way. Why are you sorry? Isn't it best for him? Yeah, maybe it is. Oh. For a 
minute there, I thought you were going to stay in that dressing room until he scalped me. It was the only thing we could do. I had to get a confession. When did you first suspect him? When I found out he was the only one in the rooming house who'd never heard the music. And, of course, when I found out that Frazier had been dead all along. But I had to prove it. Why do you think he killed Stella? Stella had called him and told him she'd seen something in 206. You know, that sickness he had is a strange thing. He had an attack that night. And though he became a completely different man, he still remembered Stella's call and was afraid she'd seen him. So, he went and killed her. Huh. Kind of makes you feel woozy, don't it? Yeah. You know, after this, people are going to start saying I'm nuts, too. What do you mean? From now on, every time I see a vacancy sign, I'm going to run like the devil. mortal men come many shadows, shadows of greed and hate, jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light. So in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them on to their venture in the dark. Dark Venture is written by Larry Marcus and directed by William T. Johnson. In tonight's Dark Venture, Carl Harbord was heard as Eddie, Ben Alexander as the reporter, Herb Butterfield as the inspector, Leora Thatcher as Stella, and Harry Lang as the policeman. John Lake was the narrator. Original music by Basil Adlam. That was The Man in 206 from Dark Venture here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And we're joined, as we told you in the beginning, by our patron, Greg, one of our uh, patrons who generously supports this podcast. And, And we invited him to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. And so that Dark Venture episode, which, wow, I can't wait to delve into this. But why did you choose this to bring to the podcast for us, Greg? The reason is pretty boring in some ways. When I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sell it, Greg. <laughs> well, <laughs> so when I was a kid, uh, a local radio station played old time radio on Sunday nights for uh, six hours, um, and at some point, I started taping it straight from the radio. And yep, uh, early on, uh, I had uh, this was just the B side to Three Skeleton Key. And so it became one of my favorite tapes as a kid. And then as I got older, and then I kind of become uh, more of an old-time radio enthusiast, I was delighted to find out that Three Skeleton Key was such a favorite, too, because I kind of felt like, oh, well, like I discovered it, and it became kind of very popular. Uh, <laughs> it was you. <laughs> right? uh, but so then this other side um, was this uh, man in 206. I just remember... Uh, Joshua had presented a, he was the B side of one of your favorite, uh, and it was Vincent Price and like the C and Fugue and Orc. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. 
fugue in C minor. That's what it was. Yep. I knew the word fugue was in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I like murder and fugue in C. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it took me some investigating just to kind of find it because it was years ago since I had my old tapes. Uh, but I found it online and I, I know exactly what one I wanted to suggest because uh, I kind of like it. It gets to the castle right away. Within five sentences, he's holding an axe outside of a murderer's room. <laughs> I said, that's got to be appreciated, I would think. Yeah, that wasn't boring at all. That's a great story. So it's a warm, comfortable blanket of nostalgia for you. Yeah, very much is. I love the story. I loved everything about it. So uh, it's two weeks in a row that I am very, very happy to have been introduced to something that I know at least I have 14 more of these and a bunch more Rocky Jordans. So I've got something to do for a while. You were saying this is from your childhood and... uh Old time radio I listened to as a kid were all these sort of crime horror anthology stories. So while I've never heard this one before, or this is actually the first episode of Dark Venture I've ever heard, it felt cozy to me because it is that sweet spot of old time radio. And I wasn't sure as I listened, is it horror? Is it supernatural? Or is it a crime thriller? And I I should have picked up on some of the cues to tell me what it actually was because i think from the intro it's very clear that these are stories that focus on psychological crimes the the strange impulses which urge people into the unknown um and i think earlier it talks about over the minds of mortal men come many shadows and so I guess from there, it could be either supernatural, almost like spiritual shadows, or it could be psychological. Uh, As it turned out, it was psychological. But it kept me guessing, having never heard any other Dark Ventures, which way this was going to go. So a piano that plays in someone's room and you never see the person in there could very well be a ghost. Or, as it turns out, it could be a person who is killing in apparently a fugue state, speaking of fugues, (laughs) and doesn't remember them, who has schizophrenia or some other stuff or whatever the reporter says at the end. (laughs) Yeah. So preparing for this, uh, I read online somewhere that Dark Venture apparently more often than not explored the perspective of the murderer, which to me really undercuts this episode. Right. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't read that. Yeah. Right. Because then that double twist, which was, I thought, really fun, uh, isn't fun at all. Because then we would just know that's where this show goes. Because I have to admit, I was fooled. And I was both fooled and disappointed. <laughs> because when I thought it was revealed that it was the journalist, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Boy, what am I going to tell Greg? <laughs> and then i caught on just where you're supposed to catch on as the reporter starts talking about how wow music can trigger these emotional states and you might not even remember committing these crimes and i had that perfectly formulated aha moment as in I felt that I was led to the realization exactly where the script writer wanted me to have the realization. Um, And as a writer, when that works out so perfectly, I I really enjoy it. I cannot have any objective uh, statements about this because this story is candy to me. These characters are... (laughs) Murder candy! (laughs) It is. Like, like, wry, slightly bored reporter who's kind of onto things, who's just 
saying funny stuff in the corner. Awesome. <laughs> Crazed, unreliable narrator. Yes, more of that, please. Uh, so in some ways, I was pretty sure, like, I knew what was going down from the very beginning of, like, I know my unreliable narrators, and this one's unreliable. Right. Which did not diminish the enjoyment for me at all. I, this this was joy. So I went through the entire episode going, ah, the reporter's a killer. And then when he was the killer, went, same thing, Joshua. Ah, there we go. All right, so he's the killer. Well, I didn't mind how we got there. That's kind of where I was. Yeah, that was fine. And then the twist at the end, I went, oh, that was nice. That was very nice. And so uh, it saved itself in that way. But as I just said, I thought the journey to the the not-so-surprising ending was great. I had a great time. I wouldn't have been mad at it. I wouldn't have been Scott Bishop mad. (laughs) (laughs) See, part of my thought was, is this too obvious? It's hard for me to know because I have this relationship with it from childhood. And so even if you all hated it, I would found that very interesting too, because like how much is my experience of this colored by the rosy glow of nostalgia? For me, that's Star Trek, the original series. I, I think deep down, I know, <laughs> but man, I love it. I love it. And I, you know, it's, it's some specific seasons of Dr. Who for Joshua and for Tim. <laughs> Let me guess some star Wars. Laugh Olympics. I don't know. Laugh Olympics. <laughs> the laugh Olympics. God, there's so many holes in that plot. <laughs> Talking bears and oh my God, it won't end. Uh, anyway, so I, I will tell you, Greg, that I, you should rest assured that it is not just nostalgia. I, I think this is very well done. <laughs> I was just thinking that this is like there, there's some sort of super talented old jazz musician playing in a club and someone comes in and says, play the lodger. <laughs> it's like uh, I'll do my own version of it. You're right. <laughs> okay, that is a a great summation of what is yep. awesome about this, Tim. All right, you win this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you that when the reporter is fake revealed as the killer, I was really like, oh, and then I got excited again when it was revealed that it was the narrator. But then I got a little angry at myself because I feel like I am the savvy post post modern listener. (laughs) Why didn't I just immediately tweak that this was an unreliable narrator? And that led me to the realization that what I really like about it is that he is a reliable, unreliable narrator in that everything he's presenting to you, he believes to be true because he is triggered by his emotions and by the music and by the trauma of this apparently barroom brawl because that's the music Mm -hmm. he keeps playing. It's what he was playing when he was injured. So there's a more complicated level of deception going on. Uh, And then on another level, I think Tim and Greg and I were talking before we started recording about like listening to old time radio in the ideal setting when you can. And the first time I listened to this uh, was last night. And uh, here in Minnesota, we had just received our first snowfall of the season. So I was out at like seven or eight o'clock when I got home from work. And I, I put in some earbuds and listened to it on, you know, shoveling in the dark. And it's just a little cold, but not cold enough to really be uncomfortable. And I was just 
completely in the old-time radio scary zone. And so I think my analytical brain was turned off as well. So there was just a a perfect storm of elements that just sucked me into this story. Question for everybody. It's making me crazy. I can't pinpoint what the piece of music is, but I know what he's playing. Same with me. So uh, nobody knows? Oh, great. Good discussion, everybody. Good job. (laughs) You're all fired. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to wait until someone puts it in our comments section. We can Shazam it later. (laughs) Yeah, that's the the blank stare I was looking for. (laughs) Wait, we're going to turn into a young boy? (laughs) Or the tall guy with the cape? Shazam is an app where you record a little bit of music and then tell you, what's this music? What will they think of next? <laughs> what does Shazam have to do with it? Fun to say. I mean. Well, there is that. Why didn't you run that music through Shazam then, Big Mouth? I didn't know we needed to know until right now. <laughs> Why don't you do it right now? How, hard, how long can it take? <laughs> do you have a Shazam? <laughs> oh, no. I got a Shazam. <laughs> You don't even have Shazam. No. You are literally making things up. It's true. I just don't often care what this song is. It sounded really familiar to me as well. It sounded like uh, some jazz piece that was being distorted somehow. What the nearest I can come to is there was a... A song called Village Something. Village People? (laughs) You guys, don't you recognize YMCA? (laughs) Quiet Village is the name of the song. By Martin Denny, the Exotica guy. Yeah, yep, exactly. Wow, I'm sorry, Greg. We have gone down (laughs) some serious Shazam holes here. (laughs) No, and I'm done talking about this. I want to talk about something else. So we're moving on, Greg. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, did you notice the, uh, uh, can you think of another show that has nested flashbacks? Because the whole thing is a flashback, but then right. they have a conversation with Stella and then they do a flashback oh, yeah. to what happened, which she saw, which I found, mm-hmm. I'm like, is that just lazy writing or, or I think it just gets by most people on a first hearing. I think it's legit to have a flashback within a flashback, this sort of Russian doll flashback. Yeah. The only rule of it is you have to go doodly doo, doodly doo, doodly doo, <laughs> so we know what's happening. Yeah. Back to unreliable narrators, though, one of the other things on a second listen that struck me is how many other people are telling only half truths to each character. Yeah. Uh, the housekeeper is an unreliable narrator in the story she tells to the inspector. Um, And we really never hear her story for sure. Mr. Wilson, in one of his states, assumes she identified him and went and murdered her. At some point, it's unclear from the story when the reporter and the inspector started working together. So at some point, some of those conversations that the inspector is having with Wilson have to possibly be not truthful. I, I got the sense that they were in cahoots w- w- way before. Like, the cops sent the reporter there to begin with. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this whole thing was a setup from 
way back. It crossed my mind. I don't think that was the case based on how the cop responded when the narrator first spoke to him of just seemed to be pretty blithely unaware of what's going on in the, the house. That being said, like Josh was saying, everyone is telling what half truths, so right. it's hard to know who to believe in what they say. It's also a great hook for the reporter character who is looking for stories and the idea of a boarding house during a housing shortage having a perpetual mm-hmm. vacancy sign. Yep. I thought that was a great idea. This comes up a lot in our old-time radio shows, the idea of the housing shortages of this era and how they play into so many plot lines, or at least is mentioned. And uh, it's so interesting because you can't throw a dead cat without hitting an apartment building being built right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of vacancy signs. Yeah, yeah. Back to the psychological components of the story, I thought it was interesting that they gave some reasoning to Wilson's murders. Not that it was terribly complex, but in other horror anthology series, he might just be a psychopathic killer who just kills to kill. But that connection to that he somehow felt some empathy for helpless lost people and he was putting them out of their misery was a nice touch especially since we found out that he was kind of a drifter and went from job to job before this all came to fruition and there's a very tragic quality to this in that he finally inherited something that could be stability for him and it coincides with this mental instability. Um, It elevates it a little from the usual horror murder tropes. It's just, there's a lot of little granular detail in here. Yeah. On my, uh, I gave it a second listen and was picking up the, the timeline of it specifically, how recently it was he took over this house and just how quickly it all fell apart for him like losing the housekeeper and losing lodgers. And the first time I listened to it, I think I took it to be a much longer period of time he was there, but it, it, it was not. Yeah, I think there was like a, a, a sad dissonance between his uh, kind of this timid manner. And when they said like his drifting in the uh, barroom brawl or whatever indicates something like that's why the, the foreshadowing was so I don't know, innocuous. It was it's hard to see coming. Uh, because I, I think just his demeanor was so kind of soft and timid in, in all of it as he's mm-hmm. trying to like navigate this world that's falling apart, like this solid thing that's handed to him and it's just like coming through his fingers. Greg, you just reminded me of one of the jarring moments in this when I first heard it was when this narrator says, oh, I was in the hospital recovering from a barroom brawl when I found out about my aunt. And because of his, the actor's performance and his demeanor, again, I went, Barroom brawl, what? Um, And so just now I'm imagining what if the new personality is the guy who is happy and owns this boarding house and is trying to make a go of it. And he was always this brawling, murderous guy beforehand. Uh, and, And the triggered personality is actually the relatable, nice guy. Makes it more tragic. (laughs) Right. yay i I probably listened to this a dozen times i would never i don't think i ever had that that thought that's fantastic well um you 
support us monthly for me to like ruin your childhood for you. <laughs> right. There's an app for that. <laughs> it's called Dr. Fate. Green Lantern. That's the name of it. He's just going to list a few superhero names he knows. Uh, so <laughs> I was just going to read off all the Justice Society of America 1940 heroes. Oh. I have an app called The Hour Man. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Squirrel Girl. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is an app. <laughs> Mock Kettle. <laughs> Uh, I want to know what all of these do. <laughs> uh, before we go to a vote, I just want to uh, ask Greg if there's something in revisiting this from your childhood. Is there anything that stood out to you? Like, w did you find any dissonance uh, between that that adult and child listening to it again, or did you appreciate things you you missed as a child, or vice versa? Well, we'll say like the abrupt ending. Kind of reminded of a conversation that you guys had a few weeks ago, and Eric brought up the the same thing that I laugh about. It's a Wonderful Life when the cop runs out and just starts firing into the park. Yep, right. That's <laughs> uh, yep. just that very yep. end where they're like, he's like, "I'm going to do this thing," and then all of a sudden you just hear gunshots, and then you just have this real calm conversation of like, "Well, yeah, uh, too bad there was no other way to handle yeah, this." Right. Was, we, <laughs> apparently, we couldn't run out the door. Yeah, like, we couldn't whatever. There's this. Too bad they haven't invented de-escalation yeah. yet. <laughs> Boy, this taser packs a punch. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little, uh, the ending was a little jarring. And I just remember just as a kid how the whole, the idea of a twist surprise ending, like this is the mm -hmm. show for me that was like the first one. I think it's interesting, though, the fact that they kill him like that. Without any emotion, I find I don't want to get too philosophical or deep or sociological, but coming off the heels of really bad people that we were fighting in World War II and the idea of they got what was coming to them. And if bad people do bad, you kill them and you move on. Right. And I think that also might have something to do with trying to help those who were back from the war deal with the fact that they've been killing people, making it OK if someone's really bad that you can just shoot them and move on. There's something very interesting about that because this is not the first old time radio show to have a uh, blase uh, reaction to a really bad person being killed or killed, Yet, killing them. It's interesting because I think that's a really valid read on it, but you, you see that we're also progressing forward in our interpretation of these killers in that, as we already talked about, he is a guy with mental illness. Yep. And he's a victim as well as a right. perpetrator. So you you have both of these, the, the kind of old-fashioned style of policing being portrayed here as well as this slightly more contemporary uh, view on mental illness and crime. So it's an interesting crossroads. You know, and mental illness was also viewed much differently, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we send it to a vote? Yeah. Joshua, you get to start. I totally, based on everything I've said, have to say this stands the test of time. Um, it was historically f interesting as well, uh, just 
for me personally because I somehow have completely missed listening to Dark Venture. I'm not even yeah. sure I was aware of its existence, and it might have been, as Eric mentioned, somehow conflating bold and dark together um, into a double venture. <laughs> um, <laughs> bold and dark is a uh, dishwashing detergent. Yes, it's also a DC superhero team that you forgot to mention from uh, <laughs> right. World War II. <laughs> and an app. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just really found this engrossing. It just hit my personal sweet spot. I think I'd have to listen to more Dark Ventures before I could categorize it as a classic. It's I'm kind of having the same response I had to uh, last week's episode, uh, listening to Rocky Jordan, where I like I need a broader context. But it's definitely one of those shows that really you're rewarded by a second listen mm -hmm. and not just that second listen because i'm uh i wasn't paying attention but like there are details that i think just do get lost because the main story is so engaging and you're trying to figure that out that you need that second listen to figure out some of the nuance tim yeah uh, i'm right in the same boat of if i don't call this a classic it's because i i recognize that i am so biased in support of it that this is makes me so personally happy uh that i don't necessarily trust my objectivity in judging old time radio um <laughs> too bad we have a podcast judging old time radio <laughs> <laughs> it stands the test of time it makes me uh, very curious to hear more of this series which i i also had not heard before until this and i think this is good <laughs> <laughs> i uh I'm very much on board with both of what they said. Uh, this is fantastic to have finally listened to this and discovered this. I want to listen to more. I'm just sad there's only 15 of them. But maybe that's for the best because I have other things I need to do in my life. <laughs> Greg? I will say it's a, a classic because I brought it. That yeah. boy. <laughs> that's totally fair. <laughs> that's exactly how this works. <laughs> Thank you again so much for bringing this. And uh, it's just really nice to have this in our repertoire, so to speak. Yeah, this is the fourth patron guest spot we have recorded. And I'm, I'm guessing there might be one or two cynical listeners out there who think like, oh, we've just really loved all four of these episodes because people give us money. But I, I just am right. going to say that like... This has been a really great streak of episodes. I have thoroughly yep. enjoyed all four of them sincerely. So to those three anonymous cynical listeners, you're wrong. <laughs> Rest assured, Greg, if I didn't like this, it would have been an excruciating half hour for you. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, because that's how Tim is. <laughs> yes. Tim will take you down, man. He is. Yeah, you would have left crying. You want to you hear? Go ahead, Tim. Tell him stuff. <laughs> hey, please go visit ghoulishlights.com. You, you there, you listening, go to ghoulishlights.com. Jerk yeah. faces. <laughs> uh, you can vote in polls. You can leave comments to let us know what you think of these episodes so you can lavish praise upon them like we do. Uh, you can also link to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and such. Spectre, Hawkman, Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> you can link to our Threadless store and buy some uh, old radio swag, and you can become a Patreon member. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and become a patron like Greg. It is super easy, isn't it, Greg? It is very easy. 
and it's enjoyable, right, Greg? It's very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only you're the only people I support. Oh, nice. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 he's against everything else <laughs> but yeah go to patreon.com slash the morals uh, please check out what we have to offer uh, we recently um, released a bunch of our bonus episodes for uh, listeners to get an idea of what we do on Patreon. and so uh, yeah check us out if you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company does live audio drama, recreations of classic old-time radio shows, and a lot of our own original work. Doing audio drama live on stage, you can find out where we're performing every month we perform somewhere by going to ghoulishdelights.com or MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com, and you'll also see what we're performing that month. If you're not in the area and unable to join us in person, just become a patron like Greg, because part of the deal being a patron is that you get access to our filmed videos of our live performances. So you get those on top of everything else. You can't afford not to support this podcast. That's what we're saying. <laughs> that is exactly right. Get on your Gomer Pile app and listen. <laughs> Was that a reference to last week's episode? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I think I just did a callback joke <laughs> from a week ago. Well, now I have to remember not to cut that reference out of <laughs> that episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's coming up next? Uh, next, we will be listening to an episode of Quiet Please entitled Tanglefoot. Until then... And now Joshua was something pithy. Uh, no, not at all. I totally lost it. Martin Denny. <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> doodly-doo, doodly-doo, doodly-doo.